Bogged down by resentment and feelings of being stuck in the same place, Troy Maxson takes up an extramarital relationship so he can relax. The book, Fences, the author, August Wilson, and you're listening to The Society. Let's get lit! This is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. If y'all are listening to this on Apple, Spotify, wherever else, this is a video episode so you can see our faces on YouTube. Welcome to Video Land because we in it today. Okay. Okay, Kari. Here's a question. Yes. Are you a fan of baseball? No, you know, I don't know anything about baseball. But Have you ever been to a baseball game? Yes, I love them because they're like picnics. So I oh, love eating yeah. <laughs> like outdoors. <laughs> Everything tastes better outside. Do you know anything about the Negro Leagues? Surely you've heard. Of course. Yeah, yeah I um, know nothing about it. That's OK. <laughs> Neither do I. I just knew it existed. And, you know, just kind of the the things. Yeah. Um, I think it's Hank Aaron. Is it Hank Aaron? Ooh, I might oh, it's definitely wrong. Hank Aaron. OK, well. Mm, you're gonna find out anyway let's get a little deeper with this week's theme of the week okay as you know readers each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we're reading and this week's theme is a brief history of the negro league oh yay that's exciting and the first negro players to break the color line in major league baseball i can't wait edify us All right. So my research comes from the center for negro league baseball research and history.com. Okay. So um, according to the Center for Negro League Baseball Research, uh, the Negro League means different things to different people. And for some, it means those that played at the highest level of black baseball. And for others, it means those who played before Jackie Robinson broke the color line, the color barrier. Because the Negro League existed while Jackie Robinson was playing for the American League. Right, right. Okay, I can understand so, that. The, the Center for Negro League Baseball Research, their definition is a lot more inclusive and they include an organized league. Mm-hmm. They include the Negro minor leagues. They include black players in the military. Right. They include black college baseball teams. They even include those Negro players who went to Cuba, Panama, Venezuela, just to name DR. a few countries. That makes complete sense. Yeah, that played during the winter. Yeah, because everyone didn't have access to the Negro leagues. Just because you're a black player that can play well doesn't mean you have a way of getting to and training with the official Negro league. Right, right. Yeah. So that that way you kind of incorporate it all, and they want and then their site, their site, they actually say they want to. You just make sure they're including everybody by adding these other areas. I love that. So the Negro League, um, the Negro Baseball League started after the popularity of the Civil War. That's what they said. And segregation. There were records that go as far back as 1855 of an abbreviated game between black teams. And then by 1867, the National Association of Amateur 
baseball players, they rejected black members. Mm, of course. Mm-hmm. And then in 1876, the creation of the National League um, was to keep black players out of the white man's game. Mm-hmm. So in spite of this exclusion, right, in spite of this exclusion, however, black players continued to play at a high level. And in 1903, the first colored championship of the world was held. Oh, of the world. Of I love the this. world. Yeah. Um, the pitcher was Rube Foster and he led the Cubs ex Giants uh-huh. to a victory over the Philadelphia Giants. Um, you'll hear that Giants is like really common in these baseball oh, yeah. games. I don't I don't get it. Uh, yeah, I wonder where but that came from. That's the thing. <laughs> and in nineteen twenty, that same pitcher, Rube Foster, created the National Negro League and it had eight teams, including two Chicago teams. Oh wow. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So the Negro Leagues were pretty lucrative. Mm-hmm. Um Lucrative, like people were making money. They were making what? money. Yes, yes. So I think the way it describes it on this on um, the history website that they were active, like moving to different teams, mm-hmm. um, get, and getting paid good dollars. Oh, wow. So, like the people who made money gambling, they would come back and get oh, kind of wow. back these teams. Yeah. So it wasn't like. An inferior league no. by any means. No, these were players that should have been pro, but because of racial segregation and hatred, yep. um, formed their own league and was killing it all yep. over the world. Yep. I love yep. that. Yep. Um, black baseball was known for showcasing a style of speed, daring play, and showmanship. You know, everything you said is what I would enjoy in baseball. I would watch baseball if there was showmanship, yes, some type yes. of celeb- celebratory uh, movement. Well, you know, we was we, we was doing it. Of course, you know we was doing it. We was doing it. You know, we was doing it. Yeah. So I'm thinking those games would have been hype. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't ultimately, imagine the concession stands. Right. <laughs> ultimately, the Negro teams did fold um, by the 60s. And that was after the influx of Negro talent going to the major mm. leagues. So, so it's almost like opening up the um, American Baseball League. Water down the Negro Leagues. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I, I think it's um, I think there's an American and a national for baseball. sure. Yeah, okay, that yeah. I know. All right. Oh, that's interesting. But I'm happy those players were able, I hope, to make real, like even more money for their families in the American League. Yeah. Um, the first to integrate into Major League Baseball. Let's talk about that. OK. Uh, it wasn't Hank Aaron. <laughs> it was Jackie Robinson. <laughs> Jackie Robinson. Yeah, that's OK. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he integrated into the Brooklyn Dodgers mm-hmm. and that was in 1947. He won Rookie of the Year that season. He became the first Black MVP in 1949. Mm. Um, do you know his jersey number? Mm, 23. 42. <laughs> okay. It, you know, there was a movie about oh, Jesse Robinson. Oh, no, great. Thank you, yeah, Chadwick yeah, Boseman. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> Um, Jackie Robinson became a Hall of Famer in 1962, and they retired his number across Major League Baseball in 1997. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, another player, Larry Doby, he integrated the Cleveland Indians about mm-hmm. three months after Jackie Robinson joined. Mm-hmm. And he also played for the Chicago White Sox. Oh, OK. As well as the Detroit Tigers. And he became a Hall of Famer in 1998. It amazes me how old baseball is. Like yeah. it's been exist- in existence before there were 50 states. Like I know um, the Cubs before their last win. The win previous to that was before the U.S. had 50 states. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this oh, is an extremely oh, old wow. game and these yeah. teams are ancient. Yeah, they really are. Um, the third one is Hank Thompson. I mean, shortly after Dobie broke the barrier with the Cleveland Indians, mm-hmm. Hank Thomas broke it for the St. Louis Browns in 1947. He would then go on to break that barrier for the uh, San Francisco Giants in 1949. Okay. And then there were two players. Again, Hank Thompson is included. And then Monty Irving, who broke into the New York Giants in 1949. Mm. So I think um, Hank was playing for a couple of teams that year. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Another guy, Sam Jethro. He um, played for the Braves in 1950. The, the, the first game that he played, he hit a home run and was the National League Rookie of the Year for that season. Mm. Uh, it sounds like he lied about his age when he went in. So he said he was 33, but he wasn't. We don't know he was the actual probably like age. 45, right, killing him. Right. And he was wow. out because they really believed that he was older than he said he was. <laughs> that like, okay, brother, you got to go. with a cane to the plate, though. But, <laughs> <laughs> but still killing but it, still okay? Killing it. Okay? <laughs> the uh, sixth one was Mini Minosa, and he it was Cuban-born, mm-hmm. and he was the first player on the Chicago White Sox team in 1949. He is the only league player to play in six different decades oh whoa that's interesting right yeah no that doesn't make sense it it doesn't but it does he stopped playing 70 something when he stopped playing he stopped playing and then he went back and he played he played in a game and maybe you know like break that record to chase that i don't know but to you know Play could have mean maybe he shot a ball out, right? It could have mean he Pitched went up to it. plate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't be, no, okay. shot a ball out. Maybe. <laughs> what do I know? I don't know either. That's a, that's a thing. Maybe, maybe he was shooting, an umpire. Shooting balls uh, Is out. the umpire on the team? I yeah, don't think so. Oh. Go ahead. He in baseball. I don't know. <laughs> no. I'm just learning, okay? I'm learning. But if there's anyway. a sport that a 70-year-old can play on a professional level, it's baseball. Six decades. Maybe Six bowling. different decades he played in. Mm-hmm. Um, the seventh one is Ernie Banks, and he debuted for the Northsiders. I couldn't figure out who the Northsiders were, though. Like locally, what was their city? Yeah, I, I couldn't figure that out. The eighth player was Kurt Pirates, and he broke barriers in 1954 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. There was Tom Alston, who broke barriers in 1954 with St. Louis Cardinals. Um, Nino Escalera, Escalera, he was Puerto Rican born. And then Chuck Harmon, they both broke broke barriers with the Cincinnati Reds in April of 1954. Elston Howard, um, New York Yankees, mm. April of 1955. 
Carlos Paula, the Nationals team in 1954. And then uh, let's see, who is this one? This is Ozzy Virgil, Dominican born. And he was, he integrated the Detroit Tigers in 1958. And I believe that was the last one to be integrated at that. Oh, nope, one more. Pumpsy Green. In the 60s. In 59. Okay. Right. Um, Boston Red Sox. Um, and that was the final team to bring on a Negro player of wow. the, you know, the teams mm-hmm. they had at the time. So that's a brief history of the Negro League and the first players to break the color line in Major League Baseball. I love it. Why don't we take a quick break before we jump into the author and context? Okay, let's do it. I was born in Pittsburgh to a German father and a black American mother in 1945. He was born Frederick August uh, Kittle Jr. Uh, His father, again, was German born and his mother was black American. Um, His early childhood was really... Actually, I'll say his entire life, he suffered a lot because of racial hatred. For example, his mother later divorced and remarried. They moved to a white neighborhood. Someone threw a brick through their window and they were forced out of the neighborhood and Mm -hmm. had to find another place to live. Also, he dropped out of school once um, because a teacher falsely um, claimed that he plagiarized a report on Napoleon. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he was fed up a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Wilson says, or he used to say that he learned to read at the age of four and that he really honed in on black writers around the age of 12. So he's really influenced. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's really influenced by uh, Ralph Ellison, Richard Wright, and Langston Hughes, which you can pick up in the color of his characters, how, Mm -hmm. um, how... Uh, diverse they are in character and how well he fills in the gaps without telling you everything about the character. You already understand their who, what, and why. Yeah. Um, his mother wanted him to be a lawyer, but like I said, he <laughs> dropped out a lot. He sometimes he wouldn't even tell her, like he just wouldn't be at school no more. <laughs> so, um, so with our wildcard episodes, we're focusing on plays. And one thing I really noticed about the playwrights is that a lot of them didn't take to formal education or traditional right. education, but their education evolved past the classroom. So they were readers. Um, In fact, he received an honorary high school diploma from Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh just because he studied there so often. <laughs> He didn't need someone to tell him to study. He wanted to. And he received uh, many other honorary degrees in his lifetime. They're like, I want to claim him. That's what it is. And then Mm -hmm. it makes your school look more prestigious. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So heavily influenced by pro-Black political and social and art movements, um, he became a strong voice in the progress of Black um, black theater and the development mm-hmm. of it, okay. the formalization of it. Um, his century cycle is his crowning achievement. And that's part of what we're reading today. That's that, um, that's that complete work made of 10 smaller plays that covers a hundred years of the black American experience. That is so interesting to me. I read a little bit about that. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. How can I, See all of these plays on stage. No, for sure. Um, in fact, Chicago's Goodman Theater was the first to present all 10 plays on stage. And we love the Goodman yeah, Theater. Yeah, love the Goodman Theater. I think there is a theater in Seattle that um, 
was the first to have all 10 plays performed. And then I think a one man show, but Chicago Goodman theater was the first to have that century cycle put on stage. It's also called the Pittsburgh cycle sometimes. Um, But anyway, Wilson did desire for a black director to bring those plays to film. And Denzel Washington has made that his mission after Wilson's death. Okay. So were there black directors for all the plays? Oh, that's a good question. I do have an anecdote that's kind of related to that. I don't know the answer to your question, but I know that August Wilson was not a director. In fact, um, when someone bought his play and wanted to present it on stage, they were like, "Okay, where can we get a director? And he was there. He said, I'll do it. Oh, and he said, I didn't know how to direct, but I knew where to find a book on directing at the library. Hello, library (laughs) to the rescue. So that's what he did. He read a book on how to be a director and he became a director of his own works. Very cool. Um, So, yeah, he died of cancer in 2005. Okay, And that's what I have on August Wilson. Well, thanks for sharing that um, bit of information, Kari. No problem. Why don't we get a brief synopsis without spoilers before we jump into our deep dive? Okay, so is the past ever in the past? Troy Maxson has been chewed up and spit out by life in a world where being black meant a man must face crushing assaults on his spirit and body. But the world is changing and leaving Troy behind. Will he adapt or become imprisoned by the fences built around him? Alexis, what were your first thought offenses? You've seen the movie. Yeah, I've seen the movie, but I got to say, I didn't know about August Wilson until I moved to Chicago. Oh, wow. And that is through the Goodman Theater. They were always putting on a show about him. Mm-hmm. And now I know why. Um, and I think it's annually that they reset and do his show. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, the whole century cycle, maybe. Yeah, I oh. think so. Okay, we'll look into that. I, I think so. So that's how I learned about him um, through that process. And then the movie Fences came out mm-hmm. and I was like, so we're going to read the the play? Right. I love it. I love reading <laughs> plays. It's pretty cool. So I was excited to read it given my limited experience and knowledge, but this the movie was great. Mm-hmm. So who do you think would enjoy reading this book? Um, If you're interested in a character driven play a shorter story um that's just full of pain and heartbreak but in that pain and heartbreak there's comedy there's romance if that interests you perhaps you would enjoy fences yeah i think so yeah so are you ready to take a spoiler field <laughs> deep dive in, into fences? Yeah, I think I am. Okay, well, you have the floor. <laughs> okay, so I have a copy of the book here and it starts by describing the setting and then giving like a backstory on the play. And I'm going to read a section of it because I think it adds great, again, context to the characters, especially Troy. Okay. So here, here it is. It says, near the turn of the century, the destitute of Europe sprang on the city with tenacious claws and an honest and solid dream. The city devoured them. They swelled its belly until it burst into a thousand furnaces and sewing machines, a thousand butcher shops and baker's ovens, a thousand churches and hospitals and funeral parlors and money lenders. The city grew. It nourished itself and offered each man a partnership limited only by his talent, his guile and his willingness and capacity for hard work. For the immigrants of Europe, a dream dared and won true. 
The descendants of African slaves were offered no such welcome or participation. They came from places called the Carolinas and the Virginias, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Tennessee. They came strong, eager, searching. The city rejected them and they fled and settled along the riverbanks and under bridges in shallow ramshackle houses made of sticks and tar paper. They collected rags and wood. They sold the use of their muscles and their bodies. They cleaned houses and washed clothes. They shined shoes and in quiet desperation and vengeful pride, they stole and lived in pursuit of their own dream. That they could breathe free finally and stand to meet life with the force of dignity and whatever eloquence the heart could call upon. So it is in this world that we meet Troy and Bono. Okay. So... Troy and Bono are having a good time on Friday in our part one, payday. So Yeah, payday for sure. Yeah, payday is one of the ways we keep track of time in this play. So today is Friday, it's payday. Troy and Bono go to Troy's house for their weekly ritual of, what, Alexis? Drinking. Drinking and talking. They Drinking some gossips, yep. like most men. They are. So- <laughs> it's a true story. Men are gossips. <laughs> so Troy is like, the dominating figure and Bono kind of looks up to him. Everything he Troy does. says, Bono like clings to everywhere. He's like his audience and Troy is on stage. Yeah. And Troy loves that. Bono he loves, loves it. being Bono. on stage. Oh <laughs> yeah. my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, Troy has asked Mr. Rand, their boss, why the black employees don't get to drive the garbage trucks. So these men work um, at the garbage yard. Only white men get to drive the trucks and the black men have to throw it on in the back. But by asking the question, Troy has like challenged the hierarchy of the company and he might get fired. Right. Or so he realizes he that. Will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we meet Troy at a time when his of his life when he's been a lot of opportunities have been snatched out of his hand. So he's not letting go of this one. Right. He wants to drive the truck. Don't matter that he ain't got no license. <laughs> More on that. (laughs) More on that later. So, um, and then Bono looks up to Troy and has for years. He mentions that Troy, though, has been flirting with a woman named Alberta. And they talk about how big and thick Alberta is. I got to read this part. They're like, she got some big old stockings. Anyway, y'all see it in there. And Troy's like, I might, you know, talk to her sometimes, but have you ever seen me womanize a beautiful landerer since I married Rose? And Bono does admit that um, Troy has not been a womanizer since Troy married Rose. Okay. So then Corey enters. Now, uh, Troy and Rose's son name is Corey. Um, He's been recruited by a college football team. So he's in high school right now, but college teams are already scouting him out. He's really good. Um, Troy thinks, though, that it's foolish for Corey to be pursuing sports. Right. And why does he think that, Alexis? Why does his dad not want him to become a big football player? Because he lost his opportunity. Yeah. And we at this point, I don't think we know for sure, but it's because of his age. Right. So by the time the Negro Leagues were um, players on the Negro Leagues were being accepted into the American League, he was too old at that time. Yeah. So um, he feels like sports will only let you down and he's trying to save Corey some heartbreak. It's a waste of time, youth and opportunity. Instead, he's like, you need to learn a trade, learn how to build some roofs, you know, do something else. Manual labor is the way for you, son. So after um, Troy lost his opportunity to play in um, American baseball, uh, there was a tragic event that happened that got him injured so bad. He feels like he met death. Um, And he also went to prison for a time. At this point in the play, we don't know what that event was. Right. 
Troy goes into a long epic story about his struggle in July of 1943 with death. And Rose and Bono listen with this awe and kind of a slight fear also. Right. Did you? You picked up on that, too. Okay, so um, then we meet Lyons. Now, Lyons is a son Troy had before he met Rose. Uh, Lyons shows up at the house and he is Friday is payday. His dad already know why he there. <laughs> Obviously, Lyons needs some money. Lyons Obviously. is a jazz musician. Yeah. And he explains eloquently, not in front of his dad, but why he he's a jazz musician. And what was his explanation, Alexis? Oh, because he didn't want to be stuck in no continuous cycle of working for the man. Yeah. And he um, it's not necessarily just from a place of pride either. He sinks into a deep depression where he gets suicidal thoughts. We can. um uh, infer if he's not playing jazz. Jazz yeah. is what gets him out of bed That's in the his morning. Passion. Yeah, and it's his reason to live. So he asked mm-hmm. Troy if he can borrow ten dollars. Troy continues his saga about death and about fighting death, um, changing the times and situations in which he met death and the devil. Mm-hmm. And this includes a time when a door-to-door salesman came to sell him some furniture. He was like, "That was the devil," because he <laughs> sold it to me on credit, and I've been paying for it ever since. <laughs> And Troy thinks it's ridiculous for his son Lyons to pursue music. Yeah. Um, he puts down the way Lyons was raised because Troy didn't really have a hand in raising this man. It was mostly um, Lyons's mom that raised him. Right. And so Troy is talking about the way he was raised because I was in jail at the time and your mama was doing this and that. Troy, of knowing little about the way he was raised, um, still continues on about Lions. Lions and Rose convince Troy to give Lions the $10 and then Lions abruptly leaves with the $10 in his pocket. <laughs> That's what he came for, right? <laughs> Bono decides to go home to his wife, Lucille, and the pig feet she made for dinner. Troy embraces Rose and tells Bono how much he loves his wife and brags, when you come under morning to pick me up for my job I'ma still be making love to my wife and the scene ends he don't say it like that though he's very crass and comical part two protect me like a fence so Rose hangs laundry in the yard on Saturday morning she's singing the song um, where she's asking Jesus to protect her like a fence I, I didn't even notice that, that the first time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, Troy and Rose talk about <gasps> this lottery <sighs> game that Rose plays for fun. He's like, that's throwing money away. Yep. But they're, even when they argue, there's love there. They're not hurt, hurting each other. Right. They're very uh, soft with each other, even when they disagree. And so I think that's really the purpose of this scene to show how they don't see eye to eye, but how much, especially Rose loves him and he seems to love his wife. Yeah. Um, Gabriel Troy's brother shows up at the house with a basket. Now, um, sometimes in, I think, Greek, Greek mythology, there'll be a, um, a an oracle whose mental state is dubious like no one really knows if he has a mental illness and that's the character that gabriel plays in the play gabriel is brain damaged from a war injury and sometimes thinks he's the the angel gabriel so yes go ahead no no that's exactly what it is he really thinks he's an angel Gabriel. And so they both play um, two characters that represent black American. I'll say specifically men at this time. Uh, The man who gave everything, including his life himself, everything of himself to fight for a country uh, that didn't protect him. And so that's Gabriel. He 
gave everything he had, including himself, his actual self. Mm-hmm. And now he's brain damaged forever. He gets checks from the government. Um, and then Troy, who feels like all the opportunities in his life were snatched away from him. So anyway, Gabriel is singing a song about selling plums, even though he ain't got no plums. Um, <laughs> Gabriel explains to Troy that he moved over to Miss Pearl's house because he didn't want to be in the way of Troy and Rose. So this is where we learn. Um, and, and Troy's like, you weren't in the way, but you know what? You, a man's going to do what he want to do. Right. And he tells him, I'm not mad at you, Gabriel whatever. Um, so this is where we learned that they all used to live together. And then Gabriel moved out. Right. Um, Gabe often refers to St. Peter, quote unquote, St. Peter, as if he knows him personally. He's like, um, I saw the book about Judgment Day and your name was there, Rose. But your name was there too, Troy, in a different way. Yeah. And then we just got a deduce. <laughs> what that? Because we know Rose is sweet as pie. So where was where was Troy's name? And then um, Gabe leaves Troy after saying, I see some hellhounds by your feet. I don't even know what that is. As Gabe leaves, he sings a song warning Troy to get ready for Judgment Day. When Gabe leaves, Troy expresses guilt about managing the checks that Gabriel gets from the government. Because when Gabriel lived there and Troy was managing the money, he bought the house. So if his brother didn't have a hole in his head, then Troy and his family wouldn't have a roof over theirs. Yeah. And that set okay with him when he was living, when he was living there. But now that Gabriel has moved out, the um, person that needs help has moved out and you're in a house that you paid for with the checks that, you know, so, so that creates a lot of conflict inside of Troy who really loves his brother. Yeah. So anyway, Troy tells Rose that he's going to Taylor's, which is a bar, to listen to a baseball game. Remember this. Troy is going to the bar to listen to the baseball game. And you know what? I'll work on this fence that you want so bad around the yard. I'll work on it when I get back. Okay. A little time passes. Corey comes home from football practice on Saturday afternoon. Rose tells him that Troy is upset you didn't do your chores. And Corey is fearful of his father. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't, he isn't motivated by love for him. So if he can get away with out yeah. doing stuff, he going to do, right. not do it. So he's like, ah, the chores. I want to do something else first. <laughs> I'm going to do that and yeah. I'll come back. Exactly. As long as I'm in process, I won't get in too much trouble. And he tells him, you know, every Saturday, Troy, my father tells me to come out here and help him build the fence. But then I come out here and he go to the bar. So let me go do what I need to do, too. Exactly. So Troy comes home, supposedly from the bar. But Rose was like, what was the score of the game? Just asking regular questions. Go, I don't know. What game? <laughs> so, yeah, like he has no clue what the game is. What game? Why are you asking me about the game score? Is there even a game today? Mm. Troy then unsuccessfully flirts with Rose, his wife, and yells at Corey to come outside and help him with the fence. Mm-hmm. Troy reprimands Corey for going to football practice instead of doing his chores. Isn't that something? What they have a colorful doing? discussion about mm-hmm. buying a television. So Corey comes out to help his dad. He like, Dad, why don't you get a TV? He's like, How much a TV cost? Two hundred dollars. He go, Okay, you see that roof? It's such and such years old. It's gonna leak. You ain't gonna notice it at first, but then it's gonna be a hole in your roof, and all that water gonna be all over your new TV. So, do you want two hundred dollars for a roof or two hundred dollars for a television? And Corey goes, "I want two hundred dollars for a television. When I need the roof, I'll get it then." Worry about With it when what it money you spent it on the television. <laughs> so here we see his dad is trying to like 
What do you, what do you think this scene is showing us? He's truly trying to educate him on um, putting your needs before your wants. Yeah, basic economics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Anyway, Troy disappoints Corey by not agreeing to sign the permission papers for Corey to go play college football. And this is odd to me because his dad does want him to get an education, but a trade specifically not to go to school and definitely not to go to school because of some sports scholarship. Yeah, Troy is really behind. Well, a recruiter uh, wants to come by, wants to meet the dad and wants some papers signed. And Troy is like, <laughs> so um, Troy will not change his mind. And Troy wants Corey to work at the A&P supermarket. OK, like, just work at the supermarket. Then you can get out, you know, be an apprentice for somebody and learn how to build roofs. And Corey um, breaks the news to Troy that he's already given away his job at the A&P supermarket. And Mr. Uh, Stawicki, Corey's boss, is keeping Corey's job for when the season ends. Like kids do this all the time. I'm not making this my career bagging groceries. Corey begs Troy to change his mind, but Troy refuses and demands that Corey get his job back at the supermarket. Um, Corey sees the present for what it is, a changing a gradually more accepting place for talented um, black Americans like himself. But Troy can only see his past and how hurtful that was. And because Troy refuses to believe that professional sports might treat his son better than they treated him, he holds Corey back. For me, um, uh, Troy does the opposite of what I think parents should be doing. And that is opening up opportunities for them. And he like shut him down. So I, I didn't, have love for Troy because of yeah. that. Yeah, your heart breaks to see Corey so excited about mm-hmm. something that he's so good at and for his dad to be the only thing standing in his way. Yeah. Um, but ironically, Troy's attempt to protect Corey actually hurts him, uh, stifling his potential and limiting his chances for success in the future. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? What you want to ask me? Mr. Stawicki, the one you got the questions for. How come you ain't never liked me? Liked you? Who say I got to like you? What law is there say I got to like you? Wanna stand up in my face and ask a fool question like that, talking about liking somebody. Come here, boy, when I talk to you. Straighten up. I asked you a question. What law is there say I got to like you? None. Well, all right then. Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. Nigga, as long as you in my house, you put that sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day? Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head? Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back? Yes, sir. Why you think that is? Because of you. I know it's because of me. But why you think that is? Because you like me? Like you? I go out of here every morning. Bust my butt. Putting up with them crackers every day. Cause I like you. You bout to 
biggest fool I ever saw. It's my job. It's my responsibility. You understand that? A man got to take care of his family. You live in my house. Sleep your behind in my bed clothes. Fill your belly up with my food. Because you my son. You my flesh and blood. Not because I like you. Because it's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. Let's get this straight right here before it go along any further. I ain't got to like you. Mr. Rand don't give me my money come payday because he likes me. He gives it to me because he owe me. I don't give you everything I had to give you. I gave you your life. Me and your mama worked that out between us and liking your black tail wasn't part of the bargain. Don't you try and go through life worrying about if somebody liked you or not. You best be making sure they doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying, boy? Yes, sir. Now get out of my face and get on down to that A&P. Part three, things are looking up. Mirroring the first scene in the play, Troy and Bono arrive at Troy's home to drink and talk, to gossip, as they do. On payday. <laughs> On payday. On payday. <laughs> um, so Troy has won his case, actually, against the commissioner's office, and they're going to let him drive the garbage truck. Yay! He didn't yep. get fired. He actually got the job uh, he wanted, although he still... Not only doesn't have a license, but can't read. But no one needs to know that because by the time they find out, he's like, I'll have five licenses. Yeah. Moving on. None of their business. Lyons shows up, his son that borrowed money and plays jazz and asks Troy to hear him play jazz that night. And Troy says, I don't understand that Chinese music. This is what he says about jazz. That Chinese music. Yeah. So, oh, my goodness. Aside from it being racist, it also shows how behind he is. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Mm-hmm. He is it's not. foreign. It's familiar. He doesn't understand it. So he rejects it. And that's his MO. Yeah. He's not paying attention to the current events either. Yeah. Right. No. Like, and then Lion surprises his dad by what? <laughs> Coming by to pay back. He's actually paying back the money. And Troy's like, I'm good. You keep the money I lent you. And the next time you borrow, want to borrow money from me, go and get that money you're trying to give me. So you can stop coming over here for money. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But he's also not allowing his son to like be a man and to keep his word. Yeah. To pay him back as he said he would. Anyway, Gabriel shows up at the house. Remember, that's Troy's brother who has... um some brain damage. He shows up at the house and continues to talk about how he will be responsible for opening the gates of heaven on judgment day. Bono and Troy then start thinking about their dead fathers and their childhood. Um, Bono's dad was a Rolling Stone. He was, he barely saw him. Troy's dad, on the other hand, is where he gets his commitment to his family from because Troy's dad was very dedicated to taking care of his children financially. Truly obligatory. Obligatory. It's a duty of a man. You're not a man if you're not taking care of your kids. You might not love them. You might uh, drink all the time and beat them. Can't keep a wife because you keep beating them. He, he said his mom went out like when he was eight to yep. the store and never came back. Never came back. Yep. So he was raised in an abusive house with a father who 
was just evil. Um, he met a girl. They started hanging out. His dad came where they were and beat him because he wanted to rape the girl. Ugh. Once Troy figured out what his dad was trying to do, he beat, he turned around and beat his dad. It was right. like a turning point in their relationship. Yep. He wasn't afraid of him anymore. He beat him off the girl. The girl ran away, but his dad knocked him out. Not just knocked him out. He like beat him to the point where he could have died. Right, right. And he just woke up by some water and was like, well, I guess I live on my own now. Yep. Um, and then he started robbing people. The last person he ever robbed in life shot him. And he pulled out a knife to stop them from killing him. And he killed that man. So that's why Troy went to jail. That's that event that caused him to have an injury um, and to go to jail where he met right. Bono and they formed a great friendship. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So he's got a story there. Lions benefits from these times when Troy's loose and drinking and talking because they never had a relationship growing up. Right. And he starts to learn about his dad this way. Um, anyway, Corey comes home and this part breaks my heart. Um, he's really mad because Coach Zellman told him that um, your dad was up here and said you can't play no more ever. Ever. And Corey is this is the first time he's aggressive toward his father. Like, why would you do that? Yep. This is something I'm good at. There are opportunities opening up in my life just because you couldn't do what you wanted to do. Why are you stopping me? Yeah. Um, you don't want me to be successful. You don't want me to be happy. And Troy is holding him back from his dreams. So um, Troy, Troy warns Corey like you being because Troy also always wants Corey to say yes, sir. No, sir. Yeah. Um, and now Corey's like speaking his mind, like just because you couldn't make it in the baseball, like don't know you like baseball. <laughs> <laughs> and Troy warns him that's strike one. Don't strike out. Moving on. So Troy arrives home from the police station. Some time has passed because Gabriel was picked up by the police. And when Troy got there, all they wanted was money to let him go. Um, people had complained that he was making a ruckus because, you know, he'd be singing in the street or whatever. Um, so they took $50 yeah. out of Troy's hand. When alone outside, Bono and Troy are talking, frankly, and Bono complains um, that the wood you're using for the fence is too difficult. Uh, Troy says, you don't know about wood. This is indoor wood and I'm using outside wood. This is metaphorical. What do you think it means, Alexis? Um, at the time I was reading it, I was like, what is he trying to say? Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I thought maybe because he's doing things outside of the home mm. um, and and having to expand his fence, his protective borders because of activity that's going on in, outside of the home. And we'll explain that later. And he's not using quality wood. Oh, perhaps. Yes. He's not building a strong foundation for for, with these protections. Well, right. anyway, we can read into this all day, I guess. But I like where you're going. So anyway, um. Bono complains again that the wood is too hard and difficult to saw through. Bono asks Troy about his relationship then with Alberta. And oh. Bono says that he um, should do right by Rose. Troy, Tr Rose is a good woman. Good woman. Mm -hmm. She's been good to you. And you've been really close to Alberta. Troy implies that him and Alberta are now stuck together for good. We don't know what that means when Troy says it. Nope. 
Corey arrives in the yard and Corey and Troy don't understand why Rose wants this fence built. But then Bono says in a very poignant moment, some people build fences to keep people out and other people build fences to keep people in. Um, So when Corey goes into the house to look for a saw, Bono confronts Troy more aggressively now, still in a friendly way, um, but more explicitly. I know you're having an affair. I know what's going on with Alberta. Rose is a good woman. And Troy's like, I know Rose is a good woman. You think I don't know Rose is a good woman? What you trying to say? Bono wants Troy to stop having the affair before it's too late. And he reminds Troy of how much Rose loves him and what a good woman she is just over and over again. Um, Bono bets Troy that if he finishes building the fence for Rose, Bono will buy his wife, Lucille, a new refrigerator. And so um, Troy's like, you are on. I'll take the bet. Come help me build this fence. And Bono's like, well, now I got money on the line. I don't want you to ever build it. And he goes home to his wife. Yeah. Then Rose comes out and Rose and Troy are alone together. Mm -hmm. Um, They talk a little bit about what happened with Gabe and how the police officers only wanted money. Um, Then they argue a little bit over whether or not Gabe needs more supervision because Rose goes, well, maybe it would be a good idea for him to be institutionalized. But again, as they're disagreeing, there's a lot of love there. Yeah. Troy suddenly decides to make a confession and it changes their relationship forever. Rose, I got something to tell you. Well, come on, wait till I get this food on the table. Rose, I don't know how to say this. I can't explain it none. It just sort of grows on you till it gets out of hand. It starts out like a little bush. Next thing you know, it's a whole forest. Troy, what is you talking about? I'm talking, woman. Let me talk. I'm trying to find a way to tell you. I'm going to be a daddy. I'm going to be somebody's daddy. Troy, you're not telling me this. You're going to be. What? I done tried to be everything a wife should be. Everything a wife could be been married 18 years and I got to live to see the day you tell me you've been seeing another woman and done fathered a child by her and you know I ain't never wanted no half nothing in my family my whole family is half everybody got different fathers and mothers my two sisters and my brother can't hardly tell who's who can't never sit down and talk about Papa and Mama. It's your Papa and your Mama and my Papa and my Mama. Rose, stop it now. I never wanted that from none of my children. And now you want to drag your behind in here and tell me something like this. You ought to know. It's time for you to know. Well, I don't want to know it, dog it. I can't just make it go away. It's done now. I can't, I can't wish the circumstance of the thing away. And you don't want to either. Maybe you want to wish me and my boy away. Maybe that's what you want. Well, you can't wish us away. I've got 18 years of my life invested in you. You ought to have stayed upstairs in my bed where you belong. Rose, now listen to me. We can get a handle on this thing. We can talk this out. 
come to an understanding, all of a sudden it's we. Where was we at when you was down there rolling around with some God-forsaken woman? We should have come to an understanding before you started making a fool of yourself. You're a day late and a dollar short when it comes to an understanding with me. It's just, she gives me a different idea, a different understanding about myself. I can step out of this house and get away from the pressures and problems. Be a different man. I ain't got to wonder how I'm going to pay the bills or get the roof fixed. I can just be the part of myself that I ain't never been. What I want to know is do you plan to continue seeing her? That's all you can say to me. I can sit up in her house and laugh. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can laugh out loud. And it feels good. It reaches all the way down to the bottom of my shoes. Rose, I can't get that up. Maybe you ought to go on and stay down there with her. Is she a better woman than me? It ain't about nobody being a better woman or nothing. Rose, you ain't to blame. A man couldn't ask for no woman to be a better wife than you've been. I'm responsible for it. I done locked myself into a pattern trying to take care of you all that I forgot about myself. What was I here for? That was my job, not somebody else's. Rose, I done tried all my life to live decent, to live a clean, hard, useful life. I tried to be a good husband to you in every way I knew how. Maybe I come into the world backwards. I don't know, but you born with two strikes on you before you come to the plate. You got to guard it closely, always looking for the curveball on the inside corner. You can't afford to let none get past you. You can't afford a call strike. If you're going down, you're going down swinging. Everything lined up against you. What are you going to do? I fooled him, Rose. I bunted. When I found you and Corey in a halfway decent job, I was safe. Couldn't nothing touch me. I wasn't going to strike out no more. I wasn't going back to the penitentiary. I wasn't going to lay in the streets with a bottle of wine. I was safe. I had me a family, a job. I wasn't going to get that last strike. I was on first looking for one of them boys to knock me in, to get me home. You should have stayed in my bed, Troy. Then when I saw that gal, she firmed up my backbone and I got to thinking that if I tried, I just might be able to steal second. Do you understand? After 18 years, I wanted to steal second. You should have held me tight. You should have grabbed me and held me. I stood on first base for 18 years and I thought, well, doggone it, go for it. We're not talking about baseball. We're talking about you going off to lay in bed with another woman and then bring it home to me. That's what we're talking about. We ain't talking about no baseball. Rose, you're not listening to me. I'm trying the best I can to explain it to you. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. I've been standing 
standing with you. I've been right here with you, Troy. I got a life too. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot with you. Don't you think I ever wanted other things? Don't you think I had dreams and hopes? What about my life? What about me? Don't you think it ever crossed my mind to want to know other men? That I wanted to lay up somewhere and forget about my responsibilities? That I wanted someone to make me laugh so I can feel good? You're not the only one who's got wants and needs. But I held on to you, Troy. I took all my feelings, my wants and needs, my dreams, and I buried them inside of you. I planted a seed and watched and prayed over it. I planted myself inside you and waited to bloom. And it didn't take me no 18 years to find out the soil was hard and rocky and it wasn't never gonna bloom. But I held on to you, Troy. I held you tighter. You was my husband. I owed you everything I had. Every part of me I could find to give you. And upstairs in that room, with the darkness falling in on me, I gave everything I had to try and erase the doubt that you wasn't the finest man in the world and wherever you was going I wanted to be there with you because you was my husband because that's the only way I was going to survive as your wife you always talking about what you give and what you don't have to give but you take two you take and you don't even know nobody's giving Part four, daddy's baby. So six months have passed um, and Troy is now treated like a stranger in his home after this startling confession. Rose hasn't had a conversation with him, a real one, um, for these six months. Not a single day has passed with them really talking the way they used to. He's still living in the house, but um, he goes to the bar often. Yeah. And that's we can now assume is Alberta's home. Rose speaks for Troy for the first time or speaks to him for the first time um, by asking him tonight, are you planning to come home or are you going out? And he lies and says he's going to the bar. Rose warns him that she's like about done with his foolishness. Troy discloses hurtful news to Rose that he's actually going over to the hospital after work because Alberta went into labor early. Rose matches Troy's bad news with um, some startling information. Gabriel's been taken away to the asylum because Troy signed papers granting permission for half of Gabe's money from the government that's been going to their family to go to Troy and the hospital that's going to take care of him. Troy is confused because remember, he's illiterate. So perhaps someone talked him into signing papers. Is that what you gather? Right. No, no. What I think is they lied and told him what he was signing. Yeah. Because he never wanted his brother to go back. Mm-hmm. But the well, you go ahead. Yeah. So he did sign papers. Uh, Rose saw his signature on the papers. So he thought that the papers he signed were the release forms to allow Gabe out of jail. So obviously there was some deception there. Yep. Yep. Um, he made a mistake. Did not could not read the papers and signed uh, Gabriel to an, an asylum. Rose is furious at Troy for not signing the papers so Corey could go to college to play football, but signing the papers for Gary. Or I'm sorry, Gabe to be yeah. locked up in a mental hospital because he never wanted his brother to go. He was like, be free. Yeah. But it was Rose who thought he should go. Right. And so now that it's switched. Mm hmm. So Rose warns Troy that he will have to answer for his misdeeds. The phone rings and Rose answers it. Um, She says, hey, Troy, I got some news for you. He's like, what? (laughs) 
Rose learns from the hospital that Alberta had a healthy baby girl. Yay. Yay. Um, but Alberta died during childbirth. She breaks this news to Troy. At first, he is just in disbelief. And the actually, hospital called her house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to say that her husband's mistress died during childbirth with this wow. child. Um, once he learned that the baby was born, he was getting ready to go be with Alberta. And, he was, and sh- she was trying to tell him what happened. Um, Rose was, and he didn't really want to hear it. He was like, I'm going to, I'm going to uh-huh. be with her. Like, yeah, you know, like, what do you go. think? Yep. And she, she breaks it to him. No, Albert is dead. Um, so Troy confronts this imaginary character death that he keeps talking about throughout the play. And he challenges death to come and get him after he builds a fence. Troy dares death to confront him man to man, still confident that he would win. So Troy brings home his motherless baby, Raynell. Um, he sits on the porch singing a song, um, kind of putting on a show because at first Rose doesn't, doesn't allow him in the house with the baby. Um, so he sits on the porch and he's like, I guess we homeless, baby. I've been homeless before, but never with a baby. And he starts telling her what we're going to do. We're going to try to catch them free train rides, me and you, baby. And then Rose, her heart is touched and she comes out and delivers the greatest line of the play to me. She says, you can't visit the sins of the father upon the child. This child got a mother, which means she's going to adopt the child as her own. But you're a womanless man. So she has rejected Troy as a partner. So time passes. Roy, Rose is now more independent. Um, just like Troy was at the bar all the time. Rose is at church. Yep. Baking pies, involved in community events. She don't tell him where she's going. No food. She she putting cold food out for him. He can him. heat it he up make if a he sandwich. wants to. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. He drinks alone now. Even Bono's not spending time with him. He sings blues to himself and he's just drinking. Um, one day Bono does stop by the house. It's the day they usually hang out together. Payday, the Friday. Um, but they're no longer close friends. And Troy yeah. and Bono catch up with each other. Troy even says that now that he drives the truck, it's a lonely job. Mm-hmm. He's in a white neighborhood now driving a garbage truck. There's no one to talk to before him and Bono were throwing the bags in the truck together. He doesn't have that anymore. Um, They talk about their hopes for an early retirement. They talk about their wives. Uh, Rose is a lot more religious now. He confesses to Bono and Troy invites him to stay a while. Drink. It'll be like old times. And what does Bono say? He's like, no, I'm good. Actually, I have a whole new circle of friends and Mm -hmm. we play like domino or whatever, I think. Right. And he was like, you weren't good at dominoes. Well, playing against you made me better. Mm -hmm. Bye. Yep. And he left. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just too awkward. He he doesn't have that respect. Remember, Bono looked up to Troy. Everything he said, he hung on his every word and he lost respect for him when he had that baby. Um, So anyway. Troy and Bono acknowledge how each man made good on his bet. Troy did eventually finish the fence and Bono bought Lucille a refrigerator. Uh, They half-heartedly agree to meet someday at Bono's house. And then Bono leaves for the domino game. Um, Troy continues to drink by himself. And it's in this really sad moment that Corey comes home, finds his dad on the porch drunk. And he's like, let me through. Nope. (laughs) It's no yes, sir. Hi, sir. He, in fact, tells him you ain't even like somebody in this house no more. You, you're nobody, yeah. old man. You're a drunk old man on the porch. Move. No value here. You have no value. Right. Um, and that really cuts Troy to the core. So 
Troy insists that it's time then for Corey to leave. You're a grown man. This is strike three and uh, you can get out forever. Yeah. So um, they have a physical fight. They, the boys is tussling. Yeah, it's, it's really heart wrenching. Uh, Troy physically attacks Corey. Corey swings at Troy with a baseball bat. And Troy's like, that's my baseball bat. You give me my bat. And Troy sticks his head out and he's like, you want to hit something? Here goes a target. You want to hit me? Do it. And, you know, Corey can't do it. Troy uh, kicks him out. So at one point, he, Troy has the bat and he swings and stops. He's, yeah, he swings a few times and misses, actually. But he, when, when Troy sticks out his head and is like, you really want to hurt me? Here's your target. He can't do it. No, I mean, um, oh, yeah, that was him. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Corey goes on the other side of the fence. That was built. He says, tell mom I'll be back for my things. And uh, Denzel Washington says they'll be on the other side of the fence. (laughs) Waiting for you. Um, So Troy is ready. He feels for death when it comes, but he'll have a hard fight to to fight when he comes and gets him. So Troy feels like he's had a victory now. I fought this young man, whoever he was, and I came off victorious. Oh, he was my son. This is kind of sad, but. I'm still happy I beat him. That's how he feeling. Yeah. yeah. Um, so years pass. Seven, in fact. And seven-year-old Raynell plays in the dirt in her newly planted garden. She keeps checking the garden. Mama, when my plants going to grow? And Rose says, baby, now you know a wash, wash pot, pot don't boil. Boils. Yeah. They got a real <laughs> cute relationship. Uh-huh. A man comes to the door that Raynell has never seen. And he's dressed in a Marine's uniform. And that young man is Corey. It is the day of Troy's funeral and Corey mm-hmm. has come home. Um, it's been so long. Right now, don't know who he is. Lions also comes to the funeral. Little update on Lions. He's doing check fraud now. His girlfriend left him. He really don't have a job. And he's like been in no, jail. He's a, yeah, he's been in jail. So he, of course, he doesn't have a job because yeah. <laughs> they let him out of jail. To go to his father's funeral. Yeah. So he's still in jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Corey is engaged to be uh, married to a woman who he thinks is the one for him. He cares for her deeply. He talks to his mom about her. Um, Lions and Corey reminisce about Troy then um, saying you got to take the crookeds with the straights, which is a baseball reference. And all his life, he was applying baseball references mm-hmm. to things getting on people's nerves. Corey, however, when he is alone with his mom, says, I'm not going to the funeral, actually. So, yeah. yeah. And his mom says a few things that stuck with me. You know, all that time you were angry at your dad. Mm. That was just you becoming a man. And so in a way, he made you the man you are. <laughs> Yeah. And so you going to his funeral because not going don't make you more of a man, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, Rose tells Corey that skipping his father's funeral won't make him a man. And Corey attempts to explain why he has mixed feelings for Troy, saying Papa was like a shadow that followed you everywhere. Corey and Raynell, then the siblings, compare their memories of Troy as a father. And they sing this song together about an old dog named Blue. They both got that song about the old dog named Blue from their father. Gabriel shows up having been released or having escaped from the mental hospital. No, we no, don't he even was know. released to come to the... Sure. <laughs> He's got a trumpet in his hand, but when he goes to blow, no sound comes out. Right. 
So then he takes out his frustrations and in a dance and reminisces, uh, reminisces on like the time he spent with his brother. He uh, lets out a cry to the heavens that is like a trumpet sound. And uh, the audience is to imagine now the heavens parting because of that sound. And Gabriel goes, that's the way it goes. And the play ends. Should we take a break? Absolutely. Let's do it. What did you think of Fences by August Wilson? And would you recommend anyone read this play? And would you recommend that they see the play if it comes to a city near them? Yeah, I think I think you should always read Mm -hmm. before you see Mm -hmm. if you're aware of an opportunity to read. So I really enjoyed Fences, the play and um the strength of the words, mm-hmm. the stories, the relationships. That was really, really good. Mm-hmm. I appreciate Troy's character. I mean, I didn't think of him in a good way when I didn't like his parenting style. Right. But I saw through the writing how he became the character he was. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it, but it was there. And then I could see um, Rose get her strength through the struggle she experienced with uh, Troy. The dialogue, the monologue she has where she talks about how she herself has to buy you all these years. And I had to. I had to realize that you weren't going to get no better. And I still stuck by here. Mm -hmm. But you, I still stuck by your side, but you decided to step out on me to find something else. I could have did the same thing too. And all the doubts and fears that you had, I had them too. And you act like you just give and give and give, but you don't realize you take too. Yeah. And it's other people giving when you take. You got the lines. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That is what she said. And those lines were so powerful. And there were a few lines in here. The line about the fences. Yeah. Some people keep build fences to keep people out. Some people build fences to keep people in. I love that. Mm-hmm. So I really did enjoy the book, mm-hmm. the play. And I would also recommend the movie with Denzel. Okay. He did such a really great. There was a really great job done mm-hmm. on this piece of work. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. The book and the movie. How about you? What's your final verdict? Watching the movie, it does look like a play anyway, mm-hmm. um, which I know is some annoying sometimes for some viewers. I really, I love that. I love it too. I love it's it. just a different style, mm-hmm. a cinematic style. And I really appreciate it also. Um, yeah, so I would highly recommend the book. Uh, there are parts when I loved Troy, especially in the beginning yeah. where things turn left so quickly yeah. um, because he is the color to everybody's life and they allow that space for him to be that until they don't. Yeah. So it all hinged on respect. When he lost respect for his father, he had to move out the house. And when he grew up and lost everyone else's respect, he was a stranger in his own house. Um, So even if uh, the country you're living in doesn't respect you, it's so important to have that respect in your home. But that respect best comes from love, not from this domineering uh, selfishness that he displayed. Yeah. And there's like a scene Excuse me. There's a scene in the book where in the play 
where his son asked him, did you ever love me? Yeah. And that one right there is so powerful. Yeah. When I watched the movie, I'm like, yeah, it don't matter. Mm-hmm. It don't matter. If I you- know so many people that were on Troy's side in that scene. Yeah. Especially yeah. older parents. I was... I look, you was on that. What do you mean love you? You exist because of me. Now I gotta love you. Yeah, but I did you eat today? Yeah. <laughs> like, let's start with the basics. I don't have to like you. You're right. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, but I, I get it. I um I guess there's there's several lines of thought related to that, but I, I totally get it. Um people need love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they want to be loved. And um Corey wanted love from his father. The the other stuff he got from him, that wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. What is that? The different kinds of love people need. That oh, wasn't sure. his love language. Love language. That wasn't his love, love was language. His love language. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> could could I have love, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. It was so relatable. Um, even in its, um, even when it was being hyperbolic, it was still so relatable. So yeah, yeah I really loved right. it. And that's my verdict on fences. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for this selection. <laughs> um, what are we reading next week, Kari? Yeah, so it's not a wild card episode, so we're heading back to a book. And next week we are reading. We are reading The Other Bennett Sister by Janice Hadlow. I cannot yeah. wait. Yeah, we're going to do that in a two-part series. Yeah, it's a long one. So that will be part one. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday, readers. Lit Society is brought to you by me, Alexis Honoria, and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And leave a comment on Apple. Um... (laughs) And tell them why you absolutely love us because we love you too. We love you guys. And if you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read read something. something.